Shakes Pals. Happy Throwdown Thursday. We are back with a normal episode, so thank you for bearing with me last week, but I'm excited for you to hear what we've got this week. Georgina Kirsten is on to talk about which Shakespeare character would be the best teacher. And honestly, for most of it, we just chat about Shakespeare and education, and Georgina is so amazing. They're so fun and smart and cool. And I'm just so glad I got to talk to them about this because it's something that's really important to me. And I want to yell about it all the time. So thank you so much, Gigi, for coming on. And thank you all for listening and being here. That's all I've got for you. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast where a guest and I go head to head each week and you get to decide who wins. Okay, so this is an episode that I have been waiting two and a half years, however long this podcast has been going. I've been waiting that long to get to do this episode. We are talking about who in Shakespeare would make the best teacher? And I was waiting and waiting until I found a guest who I knew would be the right kind of vibe of uh, ideas on teaching and how to teach Shakespeare and all of that. So when I read a Twitter thread a couple of weeks ago, I knew that I had found a jackpot. So I've got with me author Georgina Kirsten. Gigi, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for having me so much. I So I just... When you posted all of that about the way to teach Shakespeare in the 21st century and how uh, silly and fun and chaotic it can and should be, I was over the moon. And I don't know if that's something that you found much resistance to or if in your own experiences, that's how you were taught Shakespeare. But can you talk just a little bit about where that came from? So I went through normal English courses in high school. Um, also, I was a special ed student. So I had special ed classes because I have ADHD and dyslexia. So, I, but the way that it was taught, it didn't really stick with me. And then I think the first time I really got interested in Shakespeare was other than Wishbone, which is a whole different conversation. <laughs> But I, it was the Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson mm -hmm. adaption, uh, Much to Do About Nothing. And I remember being so wrapped about the drama because I'm I'm a romance writer and, yeah. and my favorite trope is enemies to lovers. And, yes. and Beatrice uh, and Benedict just has the greatest dialogue in that um, play, because I went on to read the play myself. And I just, I did a deep dive because I have ADHD, so that's that hyperfixation. And I just went into it and it was over for me because the moment I saw beyond the language barrier um, and the rhyme scheme and the sort of obscure um, themes that is really hammered into you in English class. And I saw the drama because mm -hmm. I love good drama. I'm a storyteller. I like it. I am attracted to good, solid stories, good, uh, stories that are universal, stories that I can inhale and, and absorb and use in my own stories. And Shakespeare is that universal story 
once you take everything else away, the, the time period, the, the rhyming scheme, the, even the sexism, and you just take it and make it into something else. So very easy because it's a universal thing. And that's why we keep coming back to Shakespeare. And that was what attracted to me the mess, but also the universal themes. Yeah, I, I love that a lot. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your books and where they can find all of those to buy immediately? I write Black-centered LGBTQ romance. And when I say Black-centered romance, it means that the POV character is always Black. Um, 95% of the time, the uh, cover art is Black because I make my own covers as well. So I focus on Black-centered, Black-focused LGBTQ romance. Um, I also do erotica. I do a wide range of subgenres and different names. I have like Ryan Fox and I have Nixon King and I have Jasper Hyde and just like from the fluffiest of fluff to like really dark and twisted and I do it all and I have a, a great time doing it. That's awesome. And can you drop your website? It'll be in the show notes, but I want everyone to hear it. You can find everything about me at georginakirsten.com. Perfect. All right. So let's dive into it. Who do you think would be out of all of Shakespeare's characters? Who do you think would be the best teacher? It's got to be Cordelia. It has to be Cordelia because Cordelia is the type Mm. of person because I actually just recently rewatched King Lear, which which was with Anthony Hopkins and Mm. um, Lawrence Pugh. And I know I'm just Lawrence Pugh. Florence yeah. uh, and um and I was like because Anthony always brings it he always does whenever it's uh Hannibal Lecter or he's doing something funny and offbeat he always brings it and I was really interested because also Emma Thompson who yeah he always does Shakespeare whenever she gets a chance is in it and I was like I have to see this drama so I watched the entire drama and I was like really from the moment that Cordelia spoke, I was like, I like her because everybody was all up King Lear's ass. But she was like, no, I love you like a daughter loves a father, no more, no less. I'm not going to kiss your ass. And she paid dearly for it. And I love the, and when you're a teacher, you have to not only be, you know, clear cut. And especially if you're working with special needs kids, like I was, you also have to be stern and be able to like put your foot down. And I think she'll be patient enough with you to yeah. take you all the way. But also if she will not put up with any of your bullshit in the classroom. <laughs> and, and those are the best teachers. Wow. I had never, I, cause when I, before I start these recordings, I always kind of try to think about what guests might bring. And Cordelia had not entered my mind at all, but she's such a good pick. All right, who do you, who do I think out of all Shakespeare characters would be the best teacher? But I was thinking like like the worst teacher would be Puck. Puck or Oberon would be the worst. Um, okay, okay, I can I can run with Puck because here it, <laughs> I think that in order to run an efficient classroom, you have to have enough um, ability to relate to your students, but not be one of them. And I think that Puck kind of rides the line between the adult world and the chaos world pretty, pretty well through the play, because 
yes, uh, yes, he's pure chaos. Yes, he runs around uh, like a, a buffoon for most of it, but he's still able to get the job done and still able to give Oberon enough of that kind of um, he toes the line of respect and teasing. So mm -hmm. he has this good natural relationship with Oberon. And I think that obviously Oberon is a superior and Puck would be working with students. This is, this is a tough one. Um, but I think that they would love, they would rally around the um, comfort of the environment. He would uh, encourage them to be themselves and play. And I think a lot of times, especially in higher education, I think we lose a lot of the spirit of play in mm -hmm. the classroom because mm -hmm. so I taught high school English and there's they're just everyone's so serious so much of the time. Yes, because they're prepping for AP tests and IB tests and standardized tests and all of these tests. And like I said, Puck gets the job done. He does at, you know, eventually um, get the love juice on the right person. But I think that in the process, in the chaos of the process, he shows that he's willing to learn. He's willing to make mistakes and modeling that kind of behavior um, while having a sense of whimsy and fun would be really good for especially older kids to get that back because that's missing from the classroom is is fun. Yeah, I agree. That's a really interesting, especially if we're looking at teaching Shakespeare specifically, which wasn't necessarily part of the question, but teaching Shakespeare needs that chaos. Oh, absolutely. Um, because I think a lot of people, especially because I got, <laughs> with you talked about the thread earlier and I had so many people, so many snobs in mm -hmm. my mentions talking about, well, you, you, you gotta learn this. You gotta, I was like, but why? Unless you're studying poetry and the way that poetry is being taught in school is abysmal. It's just, it's, it, it makes people not want to write poetry. And, and, and I know the poets that I have um, been friends with, they didn't do poetry until they were like in college because high school was so, you have to get the rhyming scheme just right or you can't make any mistakes or it's um, really overly harsh criticism of poetry. Yeah. And, and it took me a long time myself like recently in the last year to get back into poetry. But beyond that, the rhyming scheme with Shakespeare, especially when you're teaching kids this young, it's irrelevant. It's it's what the kids are, and the kids, especially this generation of kids who grew up on keeping up with the Kardashians and um, yeah. the Hills and, oh God, the Bachelor, they're here for the mess. Like they're yeah. here for the mess because they were brought up with that mess. And so for you to connect the universal themes of Shakespeare, you got to connect the mess. I think referencing it as, as the mess and growing up with the mess and all of the reality TV that is just always constantly there, th that's not a bad thing. People mm -hmm. are, you know, first of all, people are making money. Second of all, people are being entertained. And so I know there's a lot of oh, we shouldn't be encouraging reality TV or we shouldn't be. And that's a conversation. It doesn't even matter because it's happening and people are being exposed to it. It's the our culture has become messy. Mm -hmm. And so I think 
leaning into that rather than trying to tell students that they that that's wrong somehow. And it leaks into every portion of our lives. I know book Twitter is because <laughs> I used to write a monthly vlog about book Twitter's mess and it's always messy. And it's like that in every community from fandom to science to politics, it's always a mess. It's always a drama. And when it comes to reality shows, I'm not really huge into reality shows, but I can recognize as an author and as a storyteller that it's just a story. Mm-hmm. It's just a story. And we want our kids to find not only comfort, but a fascination in stories because that's how we build an audience of passionate book readers. And if you take that passion away, you basically just, you know, you you basically screw them over and you isolate them and alienate them from book reading. Right. And especially with so much, so much emphasis on creating uh, numbers and data and being really um, analytical in in a scientific way, there's, I think kids are being taught in school that there's no room for art and story. And I think that as, as we keep kind of killing those creative dreams, if we're not leaning into the to the stories that they actually like and we're trying to continue with whatever old held belief that there is about what a, a you know capital L literature is, right? Mm-hmm. How do we combine the fact that yes, the standardized tests are still going to ask questions about the classics and get kids excited? I think you can make it fun. Yeah. When it comes to learning, because I wasn't a straight A student, I'm largely self-taught in everything I do because A, I'm poor, but also um, the education system is not really accessible to me. And I had to learn how to love reading and love um, education myself. I think uh, for me, I think I, I regained that love of education while teaching myself graphic design because I had to buy my own books. I had to do everything myself and I had to find a passion in that. And I think that when we as people, because I have five children, I have a 17 year old who's doing Shakespeare right now. It's just like, you must read these lines in a language that is pretty much a all technically is a dialect, but pretty much for a kid looking at this a different language and you're not showing them the beauty of the mess. Yeah. And you need to show them that because once you, I think for a lot of kids, especially um, authors, uh, uh, aspiring authors and writers and creatives, they're going to be attracted to the mess because there's beauty in that and it inspires art. And I think that when we sort of like we you must learn this in this way you and I'm like that's one inaccessible to kids who have special needs or other who have mental disabilities like I'd had but it's also you know uh, there's a classism there especially for kids like in urban schools um who can't really connect the times of Shakespeare with what's going on right now and I think like there's been some Black 
in particular, I'm talking about race, it's been some um, push to do more Black Shakespearean adaptions. Um, the best one coming out will be the Much To Do About Nothing adaption with Danielle Brooks, which is oh, excellent. It's my fa- It's my favorite Much Ado. I cannot I, watch I, it enough. I love, see, I, <laughs> we had this conversation because <laughs> one of my good friends, um, Elizabeth Grace, who's a academic um we had a conversation about yeah we had a conversation about Romeo and Juliet the the Leonardo DiCaprio adaption and how that actually you know is being actually being taught in schools so they can see what's they can see the mess right Mm -hmm. And, and, and they can see the grandeur because I think people teach his works and do not teach who he was because if you know Shakespeare and you know the times of Shakespeare, and you know the taboos of that time, he did a lot of stuff that if he didn't have maybe the favor of the queen, <laughs> would have got him shot <laughs> or got him <laughs> hanged somewhere because he did a lot of um, out of the box stuff. And he, he didn't just hang with sort of snobby intellectuals. He, he hung with like the street people. He hung out with the, the, the sex workers. He hung out with, you know, the drunks. And he was, a Shakespeare himself was a great uh, student of human nature. Yeah. And that's why, one of the many reasons why Shakespeare continues to be universal because it's, at the end of the day, it's just human nature, you know? Like I was doing, I'm not finished through the Mary, um, the Merry Wives of Windsor, but I was explaining it to my mom. <laughs> and she was like, and she, because this is a woman, my mother, like, she watches Jerry Springer. And so when I actually like discussed the Merry Wives of Windsor, like it was a Jerry Springer plot, she was like, oh, this is fantastic. And I'm like, yes, it is. Yeah. Because it's 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 white rich people being messy and it's just and it's never not going to be fun and this is why we have 10 seasons of keeping up with the kardashians because we love seeing rich white people just act a mess and (laughs) i think when we tell our we show students that you you give them like license to just you know be to explore and not and to you know ignite the imagination i think that's important Yeah. And I think what's great about that too, is we don't always understand if I'm watching a Kardashian or a real housewives or whatever I'm watching, I do not understand why they choose to do the things that they do. I don't get it. And I'm never going to. And I think if we can show kids that they don't have to understand every reason behind the actions of the characters in Shakespeare, because sometimes they're just bananas. Mm -hmm. And so are the Kardashians. And so like being able, you don't have to truly get it to get it. (laughs) You know, like there's certain things that I've watched, like, oh God, like the Matrix, like the last three, uh, two, no, the last two movies of the Matrix and the new reboot. Didn't understand that most of it. (laughs) I didn't, I I was here for Keanu. I was here for, you know. Aren't we all? (laughs) <laughs> I was here for Keanu. I didn't understand. I mean, I can, you know, go off on the whole, like those, the creators of the Matrix and of Sensei, they make stories that are 
under only understandable to them. But you're there because you're you're interested because a the characters and then also what is universal is not necessarily the plot. It yes. is the character art. Is the you know the the relationships. That's what makes those movies so universal and so loved. Just no one cares about the plot. No one cares about the sci-fi. Yep. <laughs> we here to see Keanu Reeves and Trinity fall in love and 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 grow and maybe be a hero and and that's universal. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's really fun um, to take it back to our, our teachers just for a quick moment, because all of that really kind of reinforced for me. Uh, you want to talk about leaning into the mess that there's your puck right there. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I do think it would be a, a wild classroom. <laughs> I'm oh, not definitely. sure it would be a, a healthy classroom, but I do think it would be fun. And conversely, I think Cordelia is also an amazing pick. I think both both can as you give me the examples and your reasons why I think both have a place those type of teachers have both have a place in schools and also there's a place for chaos yeah although every teacher is probably wincing as I say this and I'm sorry (laughs) but there is a place for chaos yeah well and it's interesting because I always um I I led a couple professional developments this year and one of the things that I kept trying to get across to some newer teachers is it's okay for your room to be loud. Even in a high school setting, my room is always super loud. And I used to be really self-conscious about that. Like I was a bad teacher because my room was noisy, but the older I got, the more I kind of understood that kids need noise. Mm -hmm. Not everyone thrives in a silent environment in a silent environment. If it looks like students are learning, that doesn't always mean that they're learning or working. Sometimes they need that chaos. I think in doing things by rote, like in memory, like I think when it comes to, because I'm not talking about like the other, like math and science, Mm because I suck at those, but like when it comes to English (laughs) and history, in particular, I think that we also need to be aware that kids learn differently mm-hmm. and that neurodivergent kids especially learn differently. And that I think there's not enough because I got a lot of teachers who are mad at me. And I'm like, I I'm not I, I look, I know I, I love the bar too. You know, I love I don't have his all of his works, although I, I probably will end up getting all of his works um in paperback, but I love the bar too. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to make sure that you ignite a, a love of learning because that's going to carry them through. We yeah. want them to not only learn in high school, we want them to learn in college. We want them to, to continue that education themselves after college because an educated, there's nothing wrong with an educated adult world. So I think that... Um, we get so caught up and I know because teachers are understaffed they're underpaid mm-hmm. it, it, it's especially now uh, I mean yeah. and I and I get that pressure especially from the state because I live in Texas and yep oh yeah yeah <laughs> uh, we'll leave that there <laughs> we have to center the kids first and we have to center their needs first and I don't think that's being done enough especially in English class 
mm-hmm. you got to spark that, that joy. And the more tests you do, the less joy you get because it becomes focused in a different direction. So I think just in general, trying to re-inspire that love of reading for reading's sake, rather than for a multiple choice question that you might get at the end of it. And it's a bigger problem than the two of us, but I I think it's important. Asia is doing so much good work Mm -hmm. right now on web novels on those platforms, on Wattpad, um, yes. on Meb. Um, and guess who's reading those? Our kids are reading those. And yep. instead of you saying, hey, hey, publisher, like let's go over to Thailand or to China and do English translations and bring them over here, they're not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> they're not doing anything. And I'm like, you and I, I see it all the time. I really do. I see it with publishers and librarians and, uh, and, and teachers and they go in these panels and they're asking themselves, why do kids don't want to read? And I'm like, because you're not trying to meet them where they are. You're not trying to make it accessible. You're not trying to um, offer support. You just want them to read the books that you are forced to read. Maybe because out of spite, maybe because you generally yeah. love them. <laughs> I mean, I just, I get so upset about it because I'm, I'm poor. I'm never going to be rich. I am, I'm in an industry that does not pay well, Mm -hmm. like categorically, I'm never going to be rich. And I, like, I see the classism in the book industry and it really, and the lack of support for horror kids. And I'm like, wow, you are you are killing your, you're killing this industry more than anything like anybody else can do. And I mean, if we're, you know, tying it back to Shakespeare, the, there's so much of the, the authorship debate uh, is so rooted in classism that, Mm. oh, we, we've been teaching this for 400 years. It couldn't have been a a poor, uneducated man. Like, and he he was, yes. We don't know about anything about the time period that he lived in or who he was. I think like the one of the best movies for that, to put that in context, would be like Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Because that, would, that puts that in entirely into context. And once you put, and once, I think for a poor kid to see someone like them yeah. and then say, oh, and connect, put those connections together, they're going to go and do something because that's representation. Like people think Shakespeare was some rich aristocratic dude from noble background who, you know, was uh, educated and he did that himself. Yeah. And he was a poor person himself. I think that's a really important thing that we just don't really highlight enough when teaching the plays. And I think it's, I think it's a really good point. I think this episode is full of great points and Gigi, I'm so glad that you were willing to come on and chat with me about it. Yell a little, vent those frustrations. Cause I feel you. <laughs> I could talk about this all day. Thank you so much for bringing me on. I had a great time. That's I'm, I also had a great time. Uh, and y'all can vote on Twitter at P2M pod, uh, Instagram at serious business network, Do you think Cordelia or Puck would be better in front of a classroom? They could not be more opposite choices of teachers, but I do think both have uh, really great strengths. So let us know who your pick is and Gigi, let everyone know again where they can find and follow you. 
You can follow me everywhere at angloriousgg.com and Anglorious as in Glorious Bastards. Uh, <laughs> um, you can uh, find all my book info, all my info about myself on my website at georgianakirsten.com. And I think that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening and we'll see y'all next week. Serious business.